0: In our early service, the choir sang, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. And then we just sang, Mighty is the Cross. And I'm just here to see if the pulse needs to be checked this morning. We better be awake today. And How could we not be, after hearing two powerful songs of worship, how can I not be ready to preach the word as your pastor? Now, weeks ago when I asked the Lord to show me where we should go this summer with this series, He woke me up early. That's what He typically does when He wants to speak to me clearly about direction or in my own life. He put on my heart this idea of the church rising up to be what God intends for the church to be. But more than that, More than looking at the church in like the third person, what it can be, the Lord really turned it back on my own heart. You know, what are you gonna be, Cade? Are you going to live up to my potential for you? And that's the title of this message, "Oh, Church, Arise, Live Up. And I have a key question that we wanna ask this morning, and it's this, are we living up to all that we know we are supposed to be? Are we living up, to all that we know we're supposed to be. There's three points. Here's the first one, and it's really a testimony of my own life. Is number 1, we will fail to live up when we allow whatever it is to destroy the work of God in our hearts. We will fail to live up when we allow whatever it is to destroy the work of God in our hearts. And if you have a bulletin, there's an insert inside of that has the sermon outline. Over a year ago, God was speaking very clearly to me at a conference. Cody had invited me to go to a next gen conference in Atlanta. What is next gen ministry? That's a, a concept that we're implementing here at First Baptist Church as we look to hire a children's ministry very soon. They will fall under an umbrella from preschool all the way to college, from cradle to college, a connected next generation ministry. So I went to this conference, you know, like most conferences, there's a, there's a big time speakers that come out and speak, well known, famous Christian speakers in great worship time. And then there's these breakout sessions and, and you can choose those sessions, which one you want to go to. And I went to one uh, taught by a guy from Memphis that's a pastor. And I, and I went after that particular breakout because it was about your church, how your church can go into a community and make real transformation, In your own community. And for whatever reason, at the end of his talk, this guy said this statement that hit me. He said, Don't be so busy doing the work of God that the busyness kills the work of God in you. And I put that phrase in your insert. And I underlined certain parts of it, and I'll get to that in a minute. So the next day, I go to big worship sessions, it was great went to another breakout session. This one was led by a lady who'd been on staff at Willow Creek Church. She and her husband were in full-time ministry. And she told her personal story of how early on in ministry she was so driven to do all that God wanted her to do that she had a really hard time setting limits for herself or creating boundaries for herself. So she always said yes to everything that she could do, and and she made this statement. She said, I was doing the work of God, and it was killing the work of God within me. So here's two different days, two different speakers from many miles apart who basically say the same thing, and that may not have spoken to anyone else, but it sure spoke to me. And I wish I could tell you this morning that I went home from that conference, I sat down with Jennifer, we processed it, we talked about the changes that I could make in my own life, and that I got a group of men around me to hold me accountable at that time to make these changes in my life, but I didn't. I was in a very dangerous place. And I'm convinced this morning that if God hadn't intervened in May, June, July of last year, that I would not be, and even our church would not be, where we are now. We'd be in a different place than where we are now. Because the fact is this. I'm hard-headed, stubborn. Just ask my wife. I have a real tendency to just push through. Big test in college. Next day, didn't study for it that much leading up to it. Guess what? All night long, study, 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 push through, make the A. Much better athletes than me on the football field in high school. Didn't matter. Lower my head, push through them. Ministry, new church job, lots of questions, lots of decisions to make. Everyone needing this and that questions and, and lower my head, push through. That was how I was operating in full-on Cade Ferris push-through mode. But that will not work when your heart and your mind, spiritually speaking, are on life support. You can't push through when spiritually you are dying on the inside. That's where I was. I was letting the work work of church ministry destroy the work of God in my heart. The devil is so good. He's so crafty. He's so smart. He knows how to play us. He was not having his way in my life through porn, substance abuse, excessive anger, materialism, cheating. But he was deceiving me to think that I could just work longer, harder, just keep pushing through. And we'll get this church where it needs to go. Just keep on pushing. I was wrong. I was arrogant. And I was on the way to a very, very big fall. And the sad thing is, I didn't even know it. And it was staring me in the face over a year ago, and it went in one ear and out the other. Thank the Lord, I wrote it down in my little notebook. I, 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 last week, I went to my little notebook, and I saw it. I'd written it down at both conferences, both, both speakers, what they had said. I even wrote down the list that she had given of of. Whether you're living a limitless life, excessive working, withdrawing, emotional numbing, feeling overwhelmed, all those things. I mean, she nailed me to the wall, but no change. Two scriptures. If you have your Bibles, turn first to Ephesians 2. That's our first main passage. Our last main passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to read two scriptures before we get to Ephesians. These are just for me. Just to confess and say what was happening in my life. 1 Corinthians 10 12, Paul says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That's how effective Satan is. I thought I was standing just fine, but I wasn't. I had no prayer life. My Bible reading was through the motions. There was no f- hunger and thirst in my life. It wasn't there. Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now going back to the statement that I made, don't be so busy doing the work of God that the busyness kills the work of God in you. I want to put a statement up on the screen that's got blanks. <laughs> don't blank. Whatever it is, whatever it is, don't let that be that thing that kills the work of God in your life. And I don't know what that is. It, it could be your work like it was my work In this weird, twisted way, in ministry, you think, "I'm doing work for God, so I can do this work and neglect my own spiritual condition." That's baloney. But that's how I was walking. It could be your work. It could be your some habits or some obsessions that you have. Just your desire to 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 accomplish more and more and more in your field, or or to get more and more stuff or or really improve your house or or whatever you're, you're letting destroy the work of God in your heart. A bad relationship. I was in a terrible relationship in high school. Terrible. Four years. Terrible. It was destroying the work of God in my heart. Satan can use anything to destroy that work. Don't let that happen. Everything in my life was coming to a head at that time in May of last year. But at this very same moment in my life, I had my, what I call, but God experience. Which brings us to the second principle is this one, number two. We may not be living up to what we should be but God. We may not be living up to what we should be but God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I'll read verses 1 through 10. This is perhaps the most significant gospel passage in the New Testament that diagnoses our spiritual condition and how we come to know Christ and are saved by His grace. Verse 1. Paul writes, And you, church, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, there it is, but God. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My, 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 what a change from verse 1 to verse 10. This passage diagnoses our condition. Looking back over the course of our lives and how we come to know Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't mince any words. Paul says that we were dead in our sins. Dead. That we were enslaved to the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That's the devil. And that we were giving in to every desire of the body and the mind by nature, children of wrath. When God created Adam and Eve and they rebelled against God, God didn't have to teach Cain how to kill his brother. He was by nature a son of wrath. As generations kept populating the earth, by Genesis 6, the earth was full of violence. Children of wrath by nature. But then we have the gospel. That makes absolutely no sense why God would do this except because of his great love for us. But God, being rich in mercy, mercy being that which God, we deserve punishment. God doesn't give us punishment. Even when we were dead in sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And Paul goes on to say that we're saved by grace through faith. No works can we ever do to save ourselves. This is the gospel. And when we begin being dead in our sins, following the devil and all his plans, by verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. This is the gospel. This is but God. This passage... Can be applied to more than just an individual's salvation experience. The gospel of the grace of God is relevant in every area of our lives. I was, a year ago, following the prince of the power of the air. His playbook was unfolding in my life, and the spiritual numbness had become so common that I didn't even attempt to change it. There was work to be done, sermons to be written, decisions to be made about worship schedule, church members to counsel, sick people to be prayed for, a family to spend time with... But in the midst of all my work, I was not living up. I was not living the abundant life that Jesus promised his church. Look at John 10.10. The first half of John 10.10 was me. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. But right there where I was, God, but God, did something. It was very simple. He spoke to me during the week of May 14th. I can't remember which day it was. But he simply spoke to me and said, I want you to throw the sermon notes away and just stand up there and say whatever I tell you to say. It was so clear that God was leading me. I said, okay, God, I'll do it. Terrified what would come out, but I'll do it. In church, that was, a turn, that was the turning point. It was a decision to obey God's voice and walk by faith and not by sight. It wasn't some kind of new requirement that God never wanted me to have notes again. I have notes. See, I have them. It was a test. God says, will you obey me? And I said, yes, by his grace. But it's not about me. Saying yes, I heard a great Sunday school lesson from a dear friend of mine, Rick Hagans, from Auburn, Opelika area. He, he, he taught in Van Brennan's class, a great lesson. He made a point. He says, religion always calls you to sit in your seat and watch. But faith always calls you to step out. That's true. It was faith. I stepped out and obeyed God. But here's what dawned on me this last week. So I'm sitting there Early in the morning on the fourth of July at my mom and dad's house in northwest Alabama. They've got a nice pool. I was out there having my prayer time, my quiet time, and God was just speaking to me and dealing with me about things. And I began this message, he put it all in my heart. I got my laptop. I just typed it all out. It was all there. I'm just boom, it's all coming out, flowing out, and I'm just out there crying. I'm thinking, oh my dad's on the grill working on stuff. I'm I'm over here, you know, sniffing and crying because when the Holy Spirit moves in my life, I start crying. That's how I know if God is moving, Cade will cry. That's just how it works for me. So I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm thinking, oh, my mom and dad are in there. And my, all my, my children are in there probably coming out, eat, eating breakfast, looking out the, the bay window. What's Cade out there on his computer crying, you know, wiping his nose? But I, God was just showing me, as if God said, I didn't have to do that for you. I didn't have to even give you that command. I could have let you keep on going down that path. And he could have. And who knows where I'd be today. Who knows where our church would be today. But God, but God in his mercy. It's an awesome song years ago. It goes like this: Mercy said, No, I'm not gonna let you go. I'm not gonna let you slip away. You don't have to be afraid. Mercy said no. Sin can never take control. Life and death stood face to face. Darkness tried to steal my heart away. Thank you, Jesus. Mercy said no. And that's my story. This morning, you can know God's grace fresh. And anew. You can have a but God experience. Maybe you're not living up to be the person that you know you're supposed to be, that you know God wants you to be, but the path that you're on, maybe it's not the right path. Perhaps, like I was, you were heading down a path that would lead to destruction. Proverbs 14 12, Proverbs 16 25, two different references, exact same scripture. It says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Maybe that's that's the way you're going. It's the way of death. Well, guess what? God works U-turns. He does it all the time. The hope of God's grace is that the story of your life and my life can be rewritten. That's why Jesus does what he does by his grace. He steps into our life. He writes a new story. Matthew didn't have to be a tax collector anymore. Jesus said to him, Matthew, follow me. Saul didn't have to be a proud Pharisee who persecuted the church anymore. The light of the glory of Jesus knocked Saul to the ground and blinded him. Jesus called Saul by name and changed the course of his life forever. Saul's life was so transformed by Jesus that he changed his name to Paul. The Gospels give a story after story of women and men And I was saving boys and girls and teenagers whose lives can be rewritten by the grace of Jesus. You see, Jesus, according to Hebrews 13 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He today wants to rewrite your story. Can I get an amen? Please. All right. Sorry, I I needed that. All right. Okay. Remember from last week what Jesus said in his first recorded sermon, Luke 4. Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus came to set captives free. Even Christians can still be in captivity. I was in captivity to my own little ways, and Jesus came and set me free. Maybe you feel like you're just so lost. You don't know which way is up, which way is down. You don't know where home is, how to even get home from here, from where you are. There's good news today for you. Luke 19.10 tells us, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So if you feel lost today, if you are lost today, Jesus knows where to find you. Now, I sang an older song a minute ago. I'm going to speak a newer song. It goes like this. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies, If you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you've got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, if you need saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. Whatever it is, that's destroying the work of God in your life, that can be broken today. But God, you're not living up, join the club. But God, by his grace, number three, we will never live up to all God has for us apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter three. In 2 Corinthians chapter three, Paul begins that chapter Saying, I, as the Apostle Paul, I don't need letters of recommendation to try to prove myself to the people who are questioning my authority. And they were. People were questioning Paul's teaching, Paul's leadership. He was under, under fire from people in Corinth. And Paul is, is says, I don't have to defend myself because I don't need anybody's writing." He says, you're my letter, church. You, the work of God's grace in your life. You're the letter of God. Just let the skeptics look at your lives. You are the work of God there at Corinth. And then he compares what it means to be a a competent minister of the new covenant with the old covenant. The old covenant being the letter of the law which kills. And the new covenant being the spirit which gives life. And then he gives an illustration about Moses who goes up to Mount Sinai to receive God's word. And as he received the word of God, the second time on the mountain, read the story, First time he breaks the the tablets in anger, goes back up, gets them again. And he comes down, his face is glowing, and there's a veil involved. And he's talking about this, the glory of the old covenant, how the new covenant is far greater. Look at verse 12, 2 Corinthians 3. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face... So that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same glory... From one degree of glory to another, and to the same image, from one degree of glory to another. for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Verse 16 says that when we turn to the Lord, that the veil's removed, just as the Lord will remove the veil from the hearts of those Israelites who turn to Jesus when we turn to Jesus at any time in our life. The Lord will remove whatever veil lies over our hearts. I have a friend. He grew up Orthodox Jew. I went to seminary with him. He was raised reading the Old Testament, he knew Hebrew. When he was sitting in the car with his youth minister buddy in a parking lot, and the youth minister was sharing the gospel with Adam, Adam said, Cade, as I turned to the Lord, as I said, this is true, he says, it was as if scales fell off my eyes. They just fell off of me, he said. I'm like, this is real, this is the gospel. And he said, I, you know, as I turned to the Lord, these scales were removed, just like this text says the veil was lifted from his heart as he turned to the lord the key is repentance this morning that's where it all begins i had to have a change of heart and a change of mind and a change of direction it was god's mercy it was god's grace that spoke to me but i had to respond to it that's our response repentance so what we find in this passage i believe are Statements of our part and statements of God's part. Our part, this should be on the screen, our part is repentance when one turns to the Lord. Verse 16. That's our part. What's God's part? Verse 14. That Jesus removes the veil. Only through Christ is it taken away. God's part. The Holy Spirit gives freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 17. Our part, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, verse 18. God's part, and we all are being transformed into the same image, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what's our part? Repentance? Receiving that freedom that comes from the Holy Spirit. And there, listen, there's freedom. I'm telling you, there's freedom in the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. I haven't always had that in my life. It's real. It's very real, the freedom you have. But our part in verse 18 is that we with unveiled face, our face has to be unveiled because even today, you can sit here with a veiled face and you can hear God's voice and see God move and it will pass you by and you won't respond to it because your face is veiled. But Jesus, this morning, wants to remove that veil through his gospel Clear out and clean out our ears that we might hear him, and then we are to, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. What is the glory of the Lord? We'll take every one of God's attributes and combine them all together, and that's the glory of God. His love, His faithfulness, His justice, His power, His knowledge, all that He is, put it all together, that's the sum of His attributes, His glory. And as we behold who God is, all that he is, his glory, his mercy, his judgment, his wrath, his power, his grace, all that he is, as we behold that, something happens, God's part, we're being transformed into that same image, it's the very image of Jesus, Romans 8:29. From one degree of glory to another, but who does the work? Verse 18, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Peter was meant to lead the church. Jesus gave him that charge. But how does his story end in the Gospels? It doesn't look so well. Three times, Peter denies that he even knew Jesus. When Jesus was imprisoned, Peter three times said, I don't know the man. Peter did not live up. He didn't. He was not reaching his God-given potential to lead. Nowhere near it. But God, John 21, but God... Peter was in a boat and he sees the resurrected Jesus on the shore. In fact, he doesn't doesn't know who he is. But when Jesus speaks to him and says, put the net on the other side of the boat, Peter's like, "Ah, that's him, that's him. He jumps out and swims to the shore. And then Jesus painfully asks Peter, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me three times? And he recommissions Peter. He forgives Peter. He restores Peter. And Jesus will forgive you and restore you and me and recommission us. But then Jesus gives Peter the one thing Peter needed to do the work that Jesus called him to do. Peter receives the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And Peter is never the same again. We too. Need this fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives or we will never live up to our full potential as disciples of Jesus and as his church here in LaGrange. The Lord is calling us to live up. But pastor, I'm not living up. It's okay. But God and his grace is here today calling us to repentance that we might receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Father, as the band comes to lead us, to sing a testimony song of how your grace removes the chains. Lord Jesus, I pray now in the power of the Holy Spirit that you, Jesus, would remove the veil, that you would remove the chains. You've came, you've come to set captives free. God, today, folks that are bound up in fear, that are bound up in their work, that are bound up in pain and grief and struggle, whatever chains are out there, God, by your Spirit, Jesus, remove those chains. May each and every heart with unveiled face see the glorious God of grace that you are. May we repent and say, yes, Jesus, I need your spirit. I need your power. I can't do it on my own, Lord. Thank you, God, for humbling me. I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, but I hit a wall, and that wall was your mercy. And your mercy said, no more, Cade, No more. Throw the notes away. Let me take you on an adventure, Cade. An adventure of my grace. Where I'll humble you. I'll put men around you. And you'll weep around those men. And confess your fears and struggles and pains. That's what I have for you. For this church. I love this church too much to let you keep pushing and pushing and pushing in your own power. God, thank you for your grace. And this morning, God, you want to set people free this morning. I know it. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, just cut loose in this place. Have your way in each and every heart and mind. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. Lord, give us fresh power to serve you, to love you, to make a difference, God. We're not living up. We know we're not. But thank you for your grace. And by your Spirit, help us to be the church you're calling us to be. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing about how the grace of God sets us free. Let's stand. If you want to make a decision for Christ, I'm here to receive you. Need prayer, need encouragement, whatever it is, you come.